You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, preacher. Sure is good to be with you folks tonight. Been looking forward to being here, and as your pastor said, we've known he and Aaron for many, many years and appreciate uh, their faithfulness to the Lord and their attitude and their spirit. It's always been good and of course their uh, effectiveness in serving God and it's just good to be with them tonight. It's good to be with you tonight. It's always a privilege to stand behind the sacred desk and minister God's word and thank him for the privilege to do that tonight. And uh, Wanda and I, uh, Wanda would you stand? The folks would like to see you here. We've been married 45 years and we've been in the ministry 45 years. And so uh, we've, uh, I got, uh, we got married right after I graduated from Bible college and, and we've been serving the Lord together actually all of those years at Whittier Lane Baptist Church in Newcastle, Indiana. Served a couple years as youth director and with children's ministries. Became pastor in 1976 and have uh, held that position since then. And we're so grateful for the privilege and opportunity of serving him these years. Uh, people are uh, wherever I go, people mention the fact that we have, I have retired from pastoring, and a good friend of mine uh, said, uh, you know, you haven't retired, you've just been reassigned. And so, you know, when God uh, calls you to preach and gives you opportunities to continue to preach, we're so thankful that he is enabling us to do that, and we've been in many churches already this year, and, and thank the Lord for the way that he has worked uh, through his word by the way, when I retired, I don't know, you might have done this with uh, your pastor that uh, just retired, but when I retired from pastoring, the church on that Sunday bestowed upon me the title of Pastor Emeritus. And I thought, boy, that's a big deal. That sounds really nice. And I looked up the word emeritus, and uh, the word emeritus, the best way I can figure, uh, the, the most concise meaning of that word is was. <laughs> so... I'm now officially pastor was of Whittier Lane Baptist Church. And when I first saw that, I thought, well, that's no big deal. And I thought, well, you know, it has been a big deal to be able to serve God in that capacity uh, for all those years and see him work and get to be a part of that. And we're so thankful for all of these things. And I am so uh, glad for your uh, interns and for the good ministry they've had. By the way, Avery doesn't look like a rock star to me. <laughs> and so which was a relief when he didn't. But anyway, the, uh, uh, anyway, the internship, we had numerous interns while I pastored. The only regret I have about that, I wish I'd have had more over the years, but we did have a good number of them and, and thankful for the privilege, not only for what they've done for our church over the years, but having an investment in those lives. And everyone that came uh, was a blessing to our church and, and helped in the ministry. But uh, there's many across the country now that are serving the Lord uh, that have uh, interned with us, even on the mission field. And we're so grateful to have had a part in that and, and glad for your great reception of your interns this summer. If you have your Bible tonight, please turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. And what I'd like you to do tonight, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, it's only one verse, but I'd like still for you to, uh, when you find your place, if you're able to do so, would you stand? I'm going to read that one verse, have a word of prayer. You can be seated and we'll get into the message tonight, but I think it's good to stand as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word. So 
Daniel chapter one and verse eight, the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again tonight for your precious word. I pray your blessings will be upon the reading of thy word. And Lord, I acknowledge uh, the great... uh, uh, need in my life to have your help in the preaching of thy word. I pray you'd give me clarity of thought and strength of voice and the leadership and the power of the Spirit of God. Lord, I don't want to just preach a sermon tonight. I pray it'll be a message, and I pray you'd use it to speak to hearts and minister to lives for your honor and glory, and we'll give you the praise and honor for what you do, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and please be seated. Anybody who has read the life of Daniel and understands the Bible at all, knows that Daniel was a great success in life. We could talk about many things. Uh, We uh, know that Daniel was a great prophet, and he was a man with a great testimony throughout his days, and uh, he served successfully in the administrations of four different Gentile kings, and that was an unusual thing because usually when one king went off the scene and another one came on, the new one usually just executed. Everybody had anything to do with the old administration. Maybe if it was a father-son, maybe the son didn't, maybe he did. But we're talking about two Babylonian kings and two kings of the Medo-Persian Empire. We're talking about completely different regimes. And yet Daniel not only survived, but he was, had positions of leadership under each one of these kings, he was a great success in life. And he lived a long life and stayed faithful to God all of his life. He stayed true to the Lord and stayed true to the convictions that God had given him as a servant of God. Daniel was a great man who lived a truly successful life. He was prosperous in the important things. Oftentimes, we will say things like, and I'm not criticizing you for saying this, I've said the same, we will say something about somebody say, yeah, he's very successful. And usually what we're talking about, he's made a lot of money. And he's accumulated wealth in this world, and I begrudge no one of that. And many times that's a result of the blessings of God upon faithful children of God, and, and that's a good thing. But he was prosperous in the things of the heart. He was prosperous in the inner man. He was prosperous in spiritual things. He was prosperous in eternal things. Daniel was a great success. Most men have a desire to be a success in life. I believe uh, probably all of us here, whether it's your job or profession or hobbies or as a husband or as a father or as a Christian, all of us ought to desire to be a success in life. And tonight what I want to do is take a look at four reasons for Daniel's successful life. Four things, and we'll see them here in the book of Daniel, Four things about Daniel that helped him to be a success in his life for God. First of all, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, and I'm not going to go into all the background except to say that he was an Israelite who had been carried into bondage into the land of the Babylonians, and and he was to be educated among the Chaldeans and and serve the, the king of Babylon in that way. And as that came to fruition and that started happening, uh, he was invited to be at the king's table for all the meals. And of course, the king's table had a lot of things on it that a, a devout Jew would not eat because they were against Old Testament dietary laws. And so 
when this uh, started happening, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. In other words, he wasn't going to eat the things that the king was eating, and he wasn't going to drink the things that the king was drinking that he was not supposed to eat. And he didn't ask for something that was more desirable than those things. He asked for things, by the way, what he asked for was something called pulse. And I've seen all kinds of, uh, uh, of uh, definitions of that, and none of them make me want to sit down to a big a plate full of pulse, but anyway, he, it was healthy and it was according to the Old Testament dietary law. He made sacrifice to not defile himself with the king's meat. He uses the term here, the Bible uses the term, he purposed in his heart. You know, when I think about purposing in his heart, the way I would define that is he aimed himself right. He aimed himself in a right direction. You know, most people, and sad to say, many people who name the name of Christ are aimless in life. They're aimless. They have no really worthwhile goals or intentions or direction in their life. They are part of what I would call the, uh, that uh, uh, Peter called in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 in that great sermon. He said, deliver yourself from this unto word generation. And the word unto word really means going nowhere. And you know, uh, you'll go nowhere if you don't aim yourself to go somewhere, except everybody's going somewhere. Isn't it true? When it's all said and done, everybody's going somewhere. Uh, Remember, heaven or hell, uh, everybody's going to one or the other. And the truth is, if you don't aim yourself right, the devil and your sinful nature and this wicked world that we live in, they'll aim you in the wrong direction. They'll push you in the wrong way. It's important in life to aim yourself in the right direction. Daniel did that. You say, how do I aim myself right? My first point will be the longest point, so don't get all uh, uh, nervous to say, if it takes me a few minutes to do this, we'll get into the others as well. But how to aim yourself right, you need to purpose in your heart, first of all, to be saved and sure of it. You know, I'm assuming most folks here tonight know the Lord is their personal Savior, but I'm not assuming that everybody does. And if you're one, even if others think you're saved and in your heart you're questioning that or you're you're concerned about that or you know you're not saved, you'll not be a success in life. You will not have taken the first step towards success until you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Successful living starts at salvation. It starts at salvation. You also need to purpose in your heart to walk with the Lord. You want to be a success in life, and we could preach on that for a long time. Many messages can be preached on walking with the Lord, but let me give you a few keys to walking with the Lord. First of all, you need to be saved and sure of it. You need to be scripturally baptized after you've been saved. See, it's oftentimes called the first step of obedience in the life of a Christian. We ought to follow him in scriptural believer's baptism. You also ought to be a fellowshipping member of a New Testament Baptist church. One that is doctrinally right and it's right in practice as well and adheres to the uh, truth of the word of God and the teachings of the word of God. Paul said concerning walking, walking with the Lord, he said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. 
I've often thought about what he said there, that I might know him. He was talking about an intimate, personal knowledge, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and all of us want to know that. He said, and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul knew that living right and serving like he should was going to involve some sacrifice and some trials and difficulties. And Paul was wise enough and even wrote about it in other places to talk about the faith, fact that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience, hope, and, and ultimately a right walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to have that fellowship with the Lord. I want to ask you tonight, do you really want to walk with God? You know, walking with God is not just all about, hey, high five, bump, and all that kind of thing, and we're having a great time. Walking with the Lord sometimes involves sacrifice. It definitely involves commitment. It definitely involves selling yourself out to be what he wants you to be. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Who of us has not been guilty about worrying about how am I going to take care of this or how am I going to take care of that? And sometimes neglecting seeking first the kingdom in order to provide for ourselves, for our families, not only materially, but other things we want in life. Walking with the Lord has to do with seeking first the kingdom. And I'll just wrap this part up by saying, read your Bible and pray and obey. <laughs> you know, if you want to walk with the Lord, you cannot walk with the Lord if you don't know God's word and you don't seek to obey it. Jesus said, he that hath my commandments, the only way I have them is if I hide them in my heart and, and apply myself to knowing what the word of God says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, and it's not just talking about memorizing them, it's talking about abiding by them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me it, it shall be loved of my father. He said, and I will manifest myself to him. Uh, think about it. He said, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. You say, what does that mean? He says, I'll make myself known. He'll make, he, I think what he's saying is, I will make myself real to that person. And I don't think walking with God is just about keeping a set of rules or this or that, but I think that doing what he says is directly tied to a personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. According to many other places I could go, in the word of God. Daniel started right. It, it, to uh, to uh, aim yourself right, you need to also purpose to keep yourself from sin. There you go. Preacher needs to say something about that, doesn't he? I just want to say something tonight that I think a lot of people who name the name of Christ have lost track of today is that it matters to God how you live it does matter to God how you live. I am so full of this idea of, of you're, you're strict and, and, and you, you think we ought to be really concerned about doing what the Bible says and they come up with terms like legalists and other things. I am so sick of that because he gave us those things in his word because he wanted us to know them and follow them. It does matter. We live in a very worldly culture that is spilled over more than any of us would want into most churches 
and into most homes. It is important to God how you live. Keep yourself from sin. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. The idea of defiling has to do with sinning, has to do with disobeying God and corrupting yourself. You know there's a lot of king's meat out there that wants to get a hold of you. You understand what I'm saying tonight? There's a lot of temptation to go the wrong way and do the wrong thing. The devil wants to defile your heart and your mind. There's so much out there to defile those and your spirit and your will. He certainly wants to defile your body. He uses lust and greed and envy and bitterness. By the way, Bitterness is a bigger deal than most folks realize. It's a spiritual cancer. It'll eat away at your spiritual life. Brother Jet, there's been numerous times over the years where I would have somebody come into my office and they're, they're wrestling with a problem and somebody's done them wrong and they're trying to, you know, vent or whatever, get it right. And, and they'll tell me what a bad thing somebody said about them or did to them or whatever. And, they, and about every other sentence, they'll say, but preacher, I'm not bitter but I'm not bitter, and they keep spewing bitterness all over my office, but I'm not bitter. And I finally say something like this. What would be the difference between the way you are right now and the way you would be if you were bitter? Bitterness is simply unforgiveness. It's what we would call a grudge that you hold on to. And, and bitterness will eat away at you. You know, uh, bitterness, and you've probably heard this before, but it's the poison that people drink trying to kill somebody else. Bitterness will ruin you. If you're here tonight and there's something you're just seething about or something you just, quote, can't let go, you better let go because it'll free you to move forward. Some people are, some Christians are stuck on the last thing they refuse to get over. And that's bitterness. Immorality and pride and wrong priorities and peer pressure, all those things the devil uses to endeavor to defile you as a Christian and lead you into sin. Remember, God uses clean vessels. Read the Old Testament law about what animals could be sacrificed and what kind of condition they had to be in and the care of the vessels, that the, the actual bowls and plates and such that were used in the worship and service of God. They had to be clean. It's true of God's servants. We need to be clean. The only way you're going to be clean is on purpose. It won't happen by accident and it won't be convenient or easy. It's important to keep yourself from sin. It's also important to have proper priorities and seek proper balance in your Christian life. And I'll not spend a lot of, on that, but proper priorities would be to put the things of God over the things of this world. That's proper priorities. It's, the, uh, it's to put the sacred over the secular, the eternal over the temporal. It's to put best, uh, it's to put best over good and duty over convenience. 
have proper priorities. I like to have fun and I like pleasure and I like games and such like that and, 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 and hobby kind of things. I like those. But they need to be kept in the right place. Proper balance is a great key. You say, what's that? To not go over, overboard in one area to the neglect of other areas. Uh, some illustrations uh, just about proper balance. I need to hate sin and love sinners. Balance. Amen. And I could name several others, but uh, uh, I need to uh, understand the balance of prayer and human effort. Somebody has said that I ought to work like it's all up to me, but pray like knowing it's all up to him. Or without him I can do nothing. You think, take things like your relationship to the Bible, your prayer life, fellowship with the saints, soul winning, church attendance, standards of personal holiness and righteousness. We ought to include all of those things and not neglect any of them. Proper balance in our Christian life. You know how it is when you're in school. If you like math, you do good at math. And if your parents are hard enough on you, you might do good in English too. <laughs> or if you just have a good work ethic for some reason, you'll do good in things that don't come so easy. You say, what's that got to do with anything? Because Christians do the same thing in their Christian lives. You know, like go soul winning, but they don't like to pray. Or they like to pray, but they don't like to go soul winning. And so they neglect the one that's not their favorite, and we don't get to do that if we're going to have proper balance in our Christian life. We ought to desire to be totally surrendered to the will of God for our lives and to follow Him. If you want to live a successful life, you need to purpose in your heart. It starts with aiming yourself right. Before I go any further, somebody says, well, it's too late for me to start right. I mean, I've been at it a long time. You know, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And you could start right tonight. Or maybe, maybe you're just a little out of focus. Get your aim right again. Get in focus. And stay aimed right. Living a purposeful life aim toward living for and serving Jesus Christ. Now I want to give you three more and they won't be real quick but I'll, I'll not belabor them. Number two, Daniel was successful because he, he was careful to give God credit. He was careful to give God credit. In Daniel chapter two, verse one and two, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king and without reading it all, the king said, okay, I want you guys to show me my dream. And they said, tell us what you dreamed. He said, I can't remember what I dreamed. You tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. And if you don't, something like your house of dunghill and you chopped in pieces or something like that. Now they were, their goose was cooked. They were done. Show me the dream. They couldn't tell the dream. By the way, because of Daniel's education that he was in, involved in, and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were lumped together with that crowd. 
And so if those guys died, they all died. And so Daniel told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we better start praying and seek God here so he'll show me the answer. And they prayed and God showed him the answer. And he went to the proper person. He said, uh, don't be so hasty to execute all, all these guys and us. He said, I can give the king the answer. And the guy said, you can tell us? And his answer was, in verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show the king, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. In verse 30 he said, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and thou mightest know the thoughts of the heart. And so he told him the dream. But, but before he told him the dream, he said, it's not because I'm real smart. It's not because I'm smarter than everybody else. He said, the God uh, that I serve he has revealed this to me. And then he told him about the great image that he dreamed about with the head of gold and, and, and the uh, uh, breast and arms of silver and the belly of thighs uh, and thighs of brass and the legs of iron and feet of iron and clay and then a stone cut out of the mountain. And he was, he was uh, here and in other chapters where other visions were made known, he described the world empires from the Babylonian empire to the kingdom of Jesus Christ on this earth. Ah, that's another lesson, but he gave a great lesson and, and told the king. And, of course, he was rewarded for that. But here's what I want to get out. If you aim yourself right and you stay on track like we talked about, God will use you. I want to say that again tonight. There's somebody here tonight saying, well, I can't do anything. You aim yourself right, like we talk about. You commit your, you get saved, you commit yourself to God, you walk in his word. Everybody follow what I'm saying there? God will use you. And God will bless you. And God will bless other people through you and through your life. You will have God's power upon your life. And God will set you apart from others. And at times he will set you above others. It's important that you understand when God does that, God did it, you didn't. And it's important that you acknowledge that to yourself, to God, and to others. Somebody says, starts patting you on the back and bragging you about it. Say something like, praise the Lord. Don't say, oh yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. As if you did it. You took some steps that God honored. But God's the doer of it. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He said, what things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. You know, the downfall of many immature Christians is pride. The truth is, it's a temptation to every Christian, to every person. It's amazing, it's amazing 
how little we have to do well to feel real proud of ourselves. It doesn't take much to puff us up with pride. Let me remind you, a few problems and trials come into your life, it's amazing how they can take the strut out of a man or a woman or a young person. Just keep your eyes on him and trust him. Be careful to give God the credit when he blesses you or uses you. Daniel aimed himself right. He started right. He gave God the credit. Thirdly, he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, Cyrus had made a decree, the king had made a decree that you're to ask a position of no other man or of any God for 30 days. And if you ask a petition, that is if you pray or seek help from anybody but the king, you're going in the lion's den. Look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this decree was official, he went into his house and he closed his windows so nobody would see and he knelt and prayed to God. Is that what it says? Not at all. He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled down, uh, kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He didn't start praying in the open so he could protest what the king said. He just kept doing what he had been doing all along. He didn't become a man of prayer when the decree went forth. He was a man of prayer before the decree, while the decree was in force, and after it was out of, out of force, he was a man of prayer. Great reason for his success in life is he was a man of prayer. Some of you won't notice this name, but many of you will recognize it when I tell you who he is. Dr. Ford Porter pastored in Indianapolis, Indiana for many years. He's the author of the gospel track, God's Simple Plan of Salvation. He was my pastor's pastor. And uh, in a sense, my spiritual grandfather in the ministry. And, uh, Ford Porter uh, wrote that track. And it's been said there's probably no gospel track that's been used as much worldwide as God's Simple Plan of Salvation. Here's how Ford Porter looked at life and ministry. He said, you can do nothing but pray until you've prayed. <laughs> he said, don't start anything, don't try to do anything, don't embark upon anything until you've prayed. I believe that all Christian service, all Christian living, all decisions should be bathed and saturated in prayer. And I also believe this, you'll go no farther in Christian service, in Christian living, then your prayer life will take you. If you don't pray, you'll not be nearly all that God could cause you to be and you'll not be used like God would want to use you. The last thing that helped Daniel to be a success in life was he had a reputation that he could help. He had a reputation he could help. In Daniel chapter 5, we see a story about Belshazzar the king who had made a great feast and I believe it was an ungodly feast and 
uh, I believe bad things were served and all of that, and he pulled out the vessels of the house of God that had been carried out of Jerusalem, and he desecrated them. And right in the middle of the feast, when he was just, you know, in all his pomp and, and all of that, they were in this big banquet hall, and a hand showed up, just a hand. And it started writing something on the wall. Many of you heard the, the saying, the handwriting was on the wall. Well, for him, the handwriting was on the wall, and he didn't know what that meant, but it scared him to death as it would have scared me to death. And he was trying to find out where he could find some help. And when he had the problem, he was advised to call for Daniel. Daniel had answers. Daniel had God's answers and had a reputation. He had God's answers. Look in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 5. Now the queen, when found out her son was having this problem, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever, let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. He was speaking of Daniel. Verse 13, then was Daniel brought in before the king and the king spake and said unto Daniel, art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. He had a reputation. I'll not go into all the prophecy and it spelled doom for the king and all that, but Daniel uh, told him what it meant and told him what was going to happen and it did. But he had answers and he had a reputation that he could help. In church, can I tell you tonight, Eastside Baptist Church desperately needs a reputation that it can help people. And the only way that's going to happen is if the members of Eastside Baptist Church have a reputation that they can help people. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but people have a lot of problems. They have all kinds of problems. Family problems, emotional problems, addictions. You know, people are self-destructive in their habits and their lifestyles. Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.25, spoke of Timothy instructing those that oppose themselves. My, how I see it so often in anybody else that's a Christian looking around. People are ruining their lives. They need somebody that has the right answers. Not just that we have them, but we have a reputation that we have the right answers. People have spiritual problems. They need to be saved. They need to know how to solve problems and face trials biblically. They need to know how to live right and to serve well, and it's great. And you can say, you need to come to our church. Our pastor preaches the Bible, and, and, and it'll help you, and that's fine to do that, but they need to see some things working right in your life too. You need to have a reputation that you're a real Christian. The truth is, we have God's answers. We have God's solutions. They're different than what the world has already heard. The world knows, many people in the world knows what they're doing is not working. They need to know we have 
answers that are better than what they've already heard, right answers and workable solutions from the Bible. We need a reputation that we can help. A little bit of my testimony, I didn't grow up in church. I got saved when I was a freshman in college. I was attending Purdue University. Got saved there, had a friend that was a Christian, and anyway, I got to hear the gospel and I got saved. Summer after my first year, I got a job in a small factory there and uh, saving up to go to school next year. I was signed up for my second year in college. That summer, God made it real clear to me that he was calling me to the ministry. He called me to preach, and I surrendered to preach, and I didn't go back to Purdue. I started making plans to go to Bible college. I stayed out of school a year. I really hadn't had any experience in a church at all, and I stayed and I got to teach a Sunday school class and be a part of things and all that. And anyway, I ended up working in this uh, factory. Instead of three months, I worked there 15 months. Now remember, when I went there, I was 19 years old. When I left there, I was 20 years old. Small factory of about 20 men. Most of them were at least old enough to be my dad. They let me stay on for the winter and I worked there. And that 15 months I was there, a fair number of those men got me off to the side individually at a lunch hour or sometime and said, what do you think about this or that that's going on in my life? I wish I could say I solved all their problems. wish I could say I let them all to the Lord, but I let them all know what they really needed was the Lord. Here I was, 19, 20 years old, and these men coming to me wanting my advice. And I did help some of them. And the reason is that they could see that I was a real Christian. They could see that when they started telling their dirty jokes, I walked into a different part of the room. Do you follow what I'm saying? When they got into things that shouldn't be around, and I didn't, I didn't make it hard on them, I just slipped away and they knew that. There was one old guy in there that was... He was wicked and mean and vile and all that. And, and uh, he had come around and tried to tell the filthiest joke right around me. And he knew I didn't like it. And he was trying to goad me. And, and he started calling me preacher. And he'd say, hey, how you doing today, preacher? I'd say, pretty good. How are you, sinner? <laughs> you say, why'd you do that? Because he was. Amen? He needed the Lord. He was the kind of guy who would respond better to straight eyeball to eyeball than he would somebody veering away. You don't, as a Christian, you don't have to apologize for anything about what's in the Bible that you live by. You need to have a reputation. And I'm not talking about your reputation, your smart aleck, and like, like I talk to that guy, like you try to make it a way you can smart off. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a real Christian. You know, I pastored for many years, knocked on a lot of doors, met a lot of people in a, in a small town. And it was not unusual that I would talk to a new person, get to talking to them about it, and they'd tell me where they work. And we'd have somebody from our church that worked there. I'd say, hey, do you know so-and-so? I'm glad to say that the vast, vast, vast majority of the time people say, yeah, I know him, he's a good guy. Or, you know, he's a, he's a good Christian. I heard things like that, but there was a few times I heard things like this. He goes to church. Everybody hearing what I'm saying? 
he didn't have a reputation that would help. Didn't happen many times, but it happened a few times. I think everybody in here ought to determine that's not going to be me. Young people, you hearing me? Adults, you hearing me? You want to be a success in life, you need to have a reputation you can help. Four reasons for Daniel's successful life. And these can be applied to our lives today. He started right. He aimed himself right. He purposed in his heart. He was careful to give God the credit when God blessed him and used him. He was a man of prayer. And he had a reputation that he could help. You know, it all starts with being aimed right. You can't have these other things in your life if you're not aimed right. Starts with salvation. And once you're saved, it involves walking with the Lord and keeping yourself from sin and being a faithful witness for Christ and submissive to the Lordship of Christ in your life, living a spirit-filled Christian life. I want to ask you tonight, is your life being a successful life? Is there something you can see in your life tonight that's lacking? That's out of place? That would keep you from being the success in life for God? And by the way, don't mistake success in the world as true success. But please understand, being successful for God brings the kind of blessings the world can't give. And sometimes it's even blessings that anybody would want. The truth is, they're the kind of blessings that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be happy. They just don't know how to get there. If you're a success in the ways that Daniel was, you'll have the right kind of things in your lives. Let's stand together tonight. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.